This is episode 334 with Boulder, Colorado's Chamber of Commerce 2017 Business Person of the Year, the co-founder of Training Peaks, Dirk Friel. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and my singular goal is to help you improve your running by getting stronger, racing faster, preventing more injuries, and achieving more of your goals. I'm a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine, a 239 marathoner, and author of the Performance Training Journal, now available on Amazon. You can learn more about me and strength running at strengthrunning.com. And if you enjoy this show, please support our partners who are offering you some great deals on amazing products that will help your performances and overall health. First is my favorite way to hydrate, Element. Element is a delicious, sugar-free, high-sodium electrolyte mix. I love this stuff because it's perfect for endurance runners like me who are sweating a lot, drinking a lot of water, and because of that, might be susceptible to any sort of electrolyte imbalances. If you happen to have a high sweat rate, or if you're like me and you have very salty sweat, like I do, you're going to want all 1,000 milligrams of sodium included in Element. Electrolytes play a key role in helping you avoid dehydration, dizziness, cramps, and tiredness, especially after long runs or workouts. An element is used by the military, law enforcement, professional sports teams, and they're the official hydration partner of Team USA Weightlifting. Get your free sample pack with any purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning, and they'll let you try every flavor before you commit. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning for your free sample pack. Next is the MOBO board, perhaps my favorite tool for diagnosing imbalances in runners. Go to moboboard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. Invented by author and physical therapist Jay DeSherry, a PT that I have massive respect for, who I've had on this podcast and earlier last year, actually, I was going to say earlier this year, last year, it's 2024 now, last year I attended one of his physical therapy workshops, even though I'm just a running coach, and I always love Jay's perspective on keeping runners healthy and in high performance. Mobo helps you stabilize your stance with a rocker board like you have never seen before. It forces you to improve your stability with proper mechanics from the foot up. Stronger runners experience less wear and tear on their joints, so let's get strong and then use that strength the right way. Get your board at moboboard.com, and don't forget code STRENGTHRUN10. It'll save you 10%. Okay, my guest today is a juggernaut in the endurance space. Dirk Friel is the co-founder of the largest training platform for athletes in the world, Training Peaks. He's a cycling and ski mountaineering athlete himself and was selected by Boulder's Chamber of Commerce as the 2017 Business Person of the Year. Training Peaks has evolved over the years, first as a triathlon training platform, and now including running, cycling, and a lot of other sports. Soon, they're launching a strength training option for coaches as well. And in this conversation, we focus on the future of coaching, how artificial intelligence is impacting the coaching business, AI's pitfalls and promises as they relate to runners, what he's learned overseeing a training business for athletes for a quarter century, and his predictions for how we'll use AI to accomplish our running goals in the near future. 
Now, I mentioned this during the conversation, but I will soon be releasing my own Training Peaks training plans, specifically targeting the half marathon and marathon distances. Go to strengthrunning.com and sign up for our email list so you'll be the first person to know when they're available. And now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with the Chief Evangelist of Training Peaks, Dirk Friel. Thanks for joining me, Dirk. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Yeah, excited to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm really excited to connect and learn from you today. You're the co-founder of Training Peaks, which is a training platform very familiar to so many runners. And I think your job gives you unique insights into the state of coaching and coaching technology. So I'd really love to explore those topics today. Um, But first, I sort of want to set the stage for anyone who might not be familiar with Training Peaks, to the three listeners who might be like, well, Training Peaks, what is that? Uh, can you explain what Training Peaks does? Yeah, well, for 24 years now, we've been doing the same thing. <laughs> it really started because I was coaching with my father, Joe Friel, who's a fairly popular author as well. Um, and in the late 90s, we, we were using the fax machine. So we would send our schedules and we'd receive the daily training log back via paper through a fax machine and then three hole punch it and put it in a notebook up on the wall. And, you know, it's late nineties dot com era is coming in to fad. And I was like, Hey dad, we, you know, there's a thing called the internet. Let, let's see if we can leverage it. And it'd be awesome. You know, our, our athletes could access their training program and, and training data from any computer in the world, you know, no one was using phones back then to access their training. Um, And as a coach, I could deliver a better quality service, you know, to my athletes. And I'd have access to all their data. And I wouldn't have to rely on all these spreadsheets. And back then we had, we had multiple devices and athletes were using. So this is a way to consolidate all of that data instead of being fragmented across five different software desktop platforms. Um, So really, at the end of the day, we're about kind of uh, organizing all your training, but we're, we really focus a lot on the future. It's certainly we have amazing analysis, but it isn't about who you beat today. It's about who do you want to beat tomorrow? And what are your goals down the road? And ideally, we want you to work with a coach. So we live by the principles of deliberate practice. So we want you to get expert instruction set a, you know, set a goal, get expert instruction, do focus practice and get immediate feedback. And that works on a daily basis, monthly, annual, you know, as long as you want to go as an athlete. Um, so really, I think, you know, at the heart of training peaks, we're focused on the coach and delivering expert instruction to help athletes reach their goals. Well, I would love to continue talking a little bit more about the future. I, I think yeah. every running coach out there, is probably a little worried that AI is going to steal their job in in the coming years. (laughs) Uh, What do you think about that as someone who is is sort of at the helm of a a technology platform for coaches and athletes? Well, I think there's certainly major hype about it right now. Um, We may not be at the peak of the inflated hype, but there's a lot of investment going into AI right now. A lot of, you know, fly by nights is, you know, type companies as well that are promising all kinds of things, which are not, uh, you know, are not possible right now. So I'd say, you know, temper the enthusiasm right now. 
Um, it's definitely huge. It's here to stay. It's not going away. But I think we're at the very beginning of we're kind of at this really big hype stage. Um, and so I think it's definitely going to help coaches and help athletes. Absolutely. Um, but there, but not every single offering is equal. Um, so I definitely have concerns around it. And I think the way we're going about it is just thoughtfully. And ideally, I want AI to help the coach and athlete sort of behind the scenes. It's not, it's sort of like a, a seamless integration, um, much like, you know, machine learning type stuff that we've done to date. It's there, but you don't realize that's happening. And the value you're maybe getting out of it is beyond what you're, what you even thought about. You know, if you think about the iPhone today, you know, Apple doesn't talk a lot about AI, um, but yet your iPhone is doing a lot of it machine learning within it. it or or you know when you type a sentence in gmail it's maybe helping you decide the next few words to type right it's sort of this seamless integration um which is which is kind of where i i would love to see it go um but we're definitely being cautious and very uh, thoughtful around where we incorporate it do you like in our current moment in time with AI, kind of similarly to maybe 1999 with the dot-com era. There are a lot of hype, a lot of companies that maybe are making big promises and and we're going to see a little bit of a, a shakeup in the market soon. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a good analogy. I remember all kinds of dot-coms that went out of business as we were launching. I mean, we were during the dot-com bust when we were launching Training Peaks. Um, I think the what really gave us longevity is we focused on the customer's needs um, and, and really kind of just stayed authentic to our purpose. So like, for example, we've never sold an ad. We've never taken a single penny in advertising revenue, but a lot of dot coms, that was their sole purpose was just to make money off advertising. And, you know, it really didn't serve any purpose beyond that. Um, so I think the same needs to happen within AI and really kind of focusing on the actual jobs to be done by the, by the, in this case, the coach, that's really kind of our primary, um, customer. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I don't think coaches need to be worried about losing their jobs or careers because of this. I think coaches should embrace it because, but be cautious right now and expect really great things to come, but they are all here right now. Um, I also think certainly for the low cost kind of crowd, you know, the, the athlete that's getting into running that is not going to spend more than 20 or 30 bucks a month, no matter what, like, yes, they might stumble onto an AI offering and it'll help them, you know, they need consistency at the beginning. AI can help you with consistency. It can help you give you some feedback. Um, but also at the current moment, it's very homogenous. I really don't believe it's, I haven't seen anything that's like so amazingly individualized. It just tends to be very homogenous right now. And it's more about adapting to your lifestyle than actually taking in all kinds of, you know, metrics to create the perfect exact interval workout for you tomorrow. So I am worried about the homogenization, you know, of the, of the coaching applications. We all know that the best in the world are not relying on AI today. I mean, we work with Olympians, Tour de France teams, world champions, 
and none of them are handing over their training to AI right now. Yes, they're looking into it and their coach may be leveraging some tool around AI behind the scenes, um, but it's certainly not uh, you know, determining their next seven days of training. How is Training Peaks currently using AI? Is it using it in how it interfaces with coaches or perhaps athletes? I mean, we have some AI. I would more like to term it machine learning. You know, so we have, and I would say we focus on the analysis side of it, not the programming side of it. A lot of the hype right now is like 90% of it is about tell me what to do tomorrow. You know, AI is going to be the perfect solution and tell me what to do tomorrow. I think where we've started and where we will be expanding is first of all, you know, what has happened and let's analyze what's going on to give insight to the coach and athlete. Um, So right now we have training stress score, but that's based off power from, from cycling. And then from there, from machine learning, we, we introduce heart rate TSS. So you don't have a power meter on the bike. You only have heart rate or you are running with heart rate only we can give you a, a, a total training load for the day based off of heart rate. Um, from that, we developed um, normalized graded pace. So if you're going up a 12% grade, what would that be if you were on a normalized, you know, flat graded pace? If you're going on a 7% decline, what would that equal if you're on a flat terrain? We take that normalized graded pace and we turn that into a, a running TSS. So again, more machine learning. Um, we do have a desktop software that a lot of our high-end coaches are using called WKO. And within WKO, we have functional reserve capacity. That's essentially, if you think of it as your battery, how much energy do you have above your threshold, which is very, very large determinant you know, in marathon and under um, type distances, and especially in cycling, which is a very anaerobic type, type sport. Um, so we have time to exhaustion metrics. We have additional like uh, advanced metrics that exist in our desktop software. And that's kind of like our, our sandbox and where we play um, is in WKO. And then what kind of proves out we bring up to the, to the masses at the web um, product at Training Peaks. Well, here's a little behind the scenes for our listeners. I'm currently in the process of building out some training peaks, training plans that are, that are going to be offered soon. And I was finding the TSS, which is the, the total stress score, training stress score, training stress score. Um, I'm finding that really helpful because it just gives it a different perspective on workload, which, which is something as a running coach, I'm very aware of. And and it's a little bit of this nebulous concept because it's, it's based on volume, but it's also based on intensity. And there's a lot of different ways of measuring intensity. You could do it by heart rate. You could do it by pace. And so the, the TSS score is really helping me. Number one, make sure I'm giving enough stress to the athletes in the training plan so that they're actually going to get better and improve. And also not too much. So I'm not going to risk an injury for, for these athletes. So I think some of these are, are helpful. Yeah, it, it's not the holy grail, but it's a great way to visualize. We have a nice chart called the performance management chart. So as you're planning or reviewing training, you get a really good visual of, of, of the peaks and valleys. And ideally in training, you know, again, it's not a flat line, right? It's not a flat line. Neither is training straight up and to the right. You know, you have to have some of these, you know, built in 
uh, builds and recovery phases and periodization, if you will. So it's really cool when you sit down with an athlete and they have a, you know, I always say when you enter your second year, it's infinitely more powerful. You know, you have one year worth of data to now look back at. And ideally you might have eight years worth of data, you know, to compare across time. Um, but yeah, the TSS really leads to what we term chronic training load, um, acute training load and training stress balance. So more or less fitness fatigue and form. And you can kind of see how they interplay with each other. And once you have history on an athlete, you can then overlay, where did they hit their peaks? You know, where did they hit their personal bests? Um, where did they get sick? Where did they get injured? Does that, how does that relate to their overall training load and these, these other metrics, which hopefully think can then give you insights into how to go forward. Uh, for example, with the training stress balance, it's really about how kind of fresh you are, but also how in the hole you are. And, you know, you might be an athlete that's like, I cannot go below negative 30 training stress balance, or I know my risk of energy injury or, or sickness will go up, for example, you know, but I've seen athletes like Tour de France athletes that can hit negative 90, you know, TSB, but majority of athletes can't do that. You know, that's a Tour de France level athlete. Um, so it, it really is, there's no one, uh, I guess, formula for all. And that's another reason why coaches don't have to worry so much about losing their jobs. There's so much more to training than the numbers as well. I mean, we've been focusing on all these, you know, metrics, et cetera, but you know, I believe in the human coach and I believe in, there's so much more to training than just the numbers and the psychology side, the nutrition, the stress load of the family and the job and every, everything else. And if you give five athletes the same workout, you're going to get five different outcomes. Yeah. I, here's a business idea for you, Dirk. I, yeah, you know, okay. I would love a wearable that provides me a real time training stress score. I, I could have used yeah. this last Saturday when I tweaked my knee. I probably should have gone on a two plus hour run, then played basketball and then lifted weights because I was right. just really depleted by the end of the day. And, and now my knees acting up a little bit. So yeah, <laughs> getting some real time numbers would have been a little helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, that's the experience level coming into play too. And that's where a coach can help an athlete just, you know, hopefully the coach is teaching the athlete how to make decisions on their own. Yes. I, I always like to say as a coach, I want to work with you for as long as is necessary so that you can fire me and do this yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of, it's kind of funny how you, yeah, you almost need to put yourself out of business. Um, you know, so I, I understand that. I want to talk a little bit more about sort of the hype cycle that we're in with AI. Like I, I feel like I've listened to enough smart people talk about AI and, and what it can potentially do that I think a lot of people think that AI is further ahead than it is. So I'd love to hear some of the, the current limitations that you think it are most prevalent among AI as it pertains to coaching and building training and just answering running questions and, and, and everything in that arena. Because you know, if you listen to some podcasts, you, you, you think that AI has already achieved uh, you know, general intelligence and it, it's smarter than a person. So can, can you put some water on that fire? Well, large language, you know, learning models are not true. Just because they returned an answer doesn't mean it's truthful. Um, 
you don't always know the source of where it found that answer. Um, so when we think about chat GPT, open AI type, type models, I think like, again, like I just mentioned, you know, you don't know where the source came from exactly and if it's true or not, but also you have to know the exact right questions to ask. So in a way you have to be an expert first to get the most out of it. So if you're not an expert first and you're asking the wrong questions, you're just bringing yourself down the wrong rabbit hole. You're just asking the wrong questions and it's returning uh, answers that don't, it it isn't really serving the overall purpose. Right. So I, I think that's the biggest downfall right now. If we were just to just take chat GPT, open AI and throw it into training geeks, I'm not confident that the athletes would ask it the right questions. That's just not thoughtful enough. Right. It's just, throwing spaghetti at the wall, right? And spaghetti is great for you, right? But, you know, just throwing that at the wall, it just serves no purpose there. So I think, first of all, there are AI tools out there right now that smart, you know, um, experienced coaches can leverage. I, myself, there's there's an app called by Google that's called Notebook LM. Have you heard of that? I haven't, no. Well, if you like looking at research papers, it saves hours of time. Um, for example, you can take a PDF of, you know, an 18 page research paper and you point this notebook LM to that source or four other research papers on the same topic. And instead of spending 20 hours reading all of them, which you might end up doing, but you could just point this, you know, um, notebook LM at those four resources and just start asking questions. You know, what is the value of strength training for runners? Does strength training reduce um, injury, you know, injuries in runners? What are the best types of, you know, like how many subjects did this research paper use? You know, there's, you can just ask all these questions. It's, it's finding the answers if it's in the actual source itself. So I've found that to be a great way to do specific research and has saved me a lot of time. So that's very defined, I think. Um, once you have a very broad, open, kind of open AI, tell me what to do tomorrow. Uh, you know, I'm just not going to trust that. It's funny how you talked about how it's important to know the right questions or prompts to feed into these AIs. Because I've been playing around with some of these systems. And, you know, at first I was asking somewhat general questions, you know, treating it like an oracle that could just give me the the answer. And I did find that the more intelligent, specific, and nuanced my answer, my questions were, the better the answers were. And so to your point, it seems like you already need to be a coach or have this knowledge base of, of the right way to really modify these questions and ask them in, in a very pointed way to get a high quality answer, or else you're just sort of going to get, you know, make sure you have some toast before your run, because that's going to give you the fuel you need. And you're like, wait a minute, but I asked about a workout and it's just all over the place. Well, there's just, you know, a, a human athlete, there's so many inputs into the decision-making, which is again, the value of a coach. So if the coach knows you're injury history, medical history, is it right for you to do 10, 30 second hill repeats tomorrow? If at the same time, we know the 
tightness in your right hip has been increasing over the last 10 days. Like, no, that's not a smart decision. But AI, if it knows nothing about your hip impingement or your increasingly sore, tight right hip, is going to give you whatever. It might give you eight times 30 second hill repeats tomorrow with 30 second recoveries. And like, now you're blown. You know, you're just done and you can't recover from that for the next four days. Whereas and it, some other workout would have been much smarter to perform, but according to AI, not the right workout. So again, the inputs matter and there's just an infinite number of inputs when you're trying to optimize fitness currently. AI will get there. I don't know about actually like in our lifetime if it's really going to take over coaching, I don't think so. I think it's going to be a very good tool for coaches to leverage. Um, it's going to be a very good tool for beginner type athletes to leverage. But you get to a certain plateau within your early um, running career that you can't break through. And that's where the human interaction comes into play, you know, with an expert um, experienced coach. Not to mention, it's just more fun to interface with another oh, human man. being. Like, yeah, like the, there's that whole side to it. Like, I don't want to just interface with my computer all day long. I want to go talk to my coach. I want to have a normal human interaction and, and get some of that, like, social benefit. And without that, I would just feel like we're we're just, you know, continuing this trend of working from home, being on our phone all the time only listening to an AI. And that to me is almost a dystopian future because there's just less human interaction going on. Yeah. Less and less human interaction is certainly not a good thing in my view. Um, You know, AI might return a message of great workout. Your coach may return a text message, great workout. You get different internal vibes. (laughs) Right. 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 The feeling (laughs) of it. And internal motivations for doing it again tomorrow. Um, same thing. If you completely missed the workout and you went out too hard, your pacing was off, but your overall average was great. Okay. AI might say, perfect. Good job. You average seven minute miles. Your coach should be like, what the hell? You went out at a six twenty and ended at an eight thirty. Like the average doesn't matter. It's you were training a specific energy system. You didn't hit it. You went out way too hard you know, bad job, (laughs) you know, you get another internal vibe, you know, from that and learning experience from that, um, to help you with tomorrow's workout as well. Yeah, for sure. Let's maybe look into the future. What kinds of technology tools, wearables, or services might be available to runners, you know, everything from new sensors to different types of data analysis that might be enabled by by AI or, or even just fancier types of wearables that we might be able to manufacture in the future. What do you think is going to be some of the game changers over the next decade? Oh, man. Well, I would love to see, you know, live in the field, accurate, reliable lactate monitoring, right? That's not invasive, you know, so it is through your watch, through your wrist, whatever it might be. Um, you know, and I, it's just not there, it's not out there. And I think there's companies that are extrapolating like muscle oxygen saturation and relating that to lactate and your lactate threshold. And I I just don't think that's quite there yet either to hundred percent 
rely on prescribing workouts around that. So I, I would really love to see, and I, I, it might be within the next five years, you know, a really good lactate monitoring device that, you know, an athlete can use in the field. Maybe it's combined with your continuous glucose monitor. You know, you're already doing subcutaneous, you know, monitoring for, um, you know, the glucose monitor. Um, maybe we could have one device that does both or more things as well. Um, concerning continuous glucose monitors, I think they're of great value for basic health reasons. You know, I think everybody should experience that and see how they react to different foods at different times of the day. But I think we still don't know enough to say, okay, within your four hour trail run today, do this and that based on continuous glucose monitoring. Because again, it's so individualized and, and hormones and stress and diet play so much a part of those readings. And they're like, I don't, I don't know. It, we need a lot more learnings, I think, from CGMs to make them actionable within the actual workout or race itself. But at a basic health level, I think everybody should experience that. So I'd love to see advancements in CGM and, and lactate monitoring. Again, maybe it's one and the same device in the future it would be awesome. Um, I also think like in terms of analysis, it'd be nice to be able to combine, combine multiple metrics to create that, you know, training stress score. So for example, if I'm out running and I do a three mile flat warm up to my trail, you know, pace might be great, you know, to, to create a TSS from, but then once I start going up that trail and I'm actually like on all four, you know, hands and knees now climbing up a ladder or some rock scramble, well, all of our metrics kind of have a fault there. Like pace is not accurate. Power from like a stride power meter is not working in that example. Um, and so now you're relying on heart rate, which is good. Um, but can we combine all three or four of these tracking metrics to create the one kind of stress score at the end of the day? In, in my example, you end up finishing the workout and you have to decide what was the best metric to score that workout on was it best to go off pace well there was that one section that i was at you know a 20 minute mile you know going up a rock scramble so that's not great you know was it power well that didn't work you know well okay i'm, I'm gonna rely on heart rate alone and then i might have to fudge it well i went up 2000 verts i'm gonna add 20 points you know that's a little bit of what's what's going on now so i think uh more refinement around actual uh, training load, uh, would be a great advancement. Yeah. My thoughts on that is I'm really excited about AI pulling in all these metrics and sort of creating almost like a central dashboard of your performance and being able to tell you things exactly like that. What is your total stress load of this run based on all of the metrics based on the vertical, the distance, lactate. the time? <laughs> yes. Lactate. I mean, <laughs> The lactate is something totally separate that that I think is going to really help runners uh, with their training and workouts in, in particular that I'm super excited about. And while I've never used a CGM myself, I, I would be very interested in that for 
uh, another data point, you know, like like this AI algorithm pulling in, you know, how low did your blood glucose get? And that can affect your recovery score or, or even your performance score. And essentially, I'd love an AI to pull in all of these separate metrics that we currently don't really have a good way of putting them all together, unless you're maybe sitting down with your coach and, and really talking through it and, and getting, you know, including all of that qualitative information that is just very difficult to include in any kind of AI metric. Yeah. One thing I want to add is that, you know, recording all these metrics during training, at the end of the day, it should be, it should be educating your internal governor, your internal kind of like monitoring system as an athlete. Because when you are out there in the marathon, you, you can be going off your average pace, et cetera, but you re, you know, it may be all of a sudden 15, 20 degrees hotter than what, you, than what you've experienced in training or the opposite colder, or there's a headwind. There goes my pacing strategy. It's a completely different wind today. And it's really strong. Like it is today in Boulder. What are you going to rely on? Well, I, I was planning to average a seven thirty, but now I'm doing eight tens. Okay. Now you're relying on the rate of perceived exertion and all that training, all of all this training hours of collecting all that data should be refining that internal kind of uh, tachometer, if you will. And you need to know where you sit on that range and you can finally tune it. And the best athletes, literally, you can ask an athlete, what's your heart right now? They're going to be within two beats. What's your pace right now? Right. You know, they're going to be within, um, but, but in the race, they can kind of put those all aside and just rely on that internal um, kind of rate of perceived exertion and tachometer, if you will. Yeah, I'm a little old school because I started running in the late 90s, way before GPS watches. And, and that's how I learned pacing and effort was just let's train a lot and race distances from the 200 meter to the marathon and everything in between. And, and only through decades of hard work are you really going to truly understand how you're feeling at a whole variety of different paces. And, you know, you could kind of just put me on the track and tell me to execute a pace. And there was a time in my life where I could just do that. And I didn't really need any outside feedback. And oh my God, I, I felt like I was Neo seeing the matrix at that point in my life. And I'm not quite there anymore, but, uh, that to me is such a wonderful way of interfacing with the sport because it feels like you're one with your body and you're really in tune with its capabilities. Yeah. You, you also have to be okay with bad days oh, and, and, and me, mediocre. I would say majority of training days are mediocre. You're not world champion and you're not horrible. It's mediocre. So if you're 10k PR is 36. That's not going to happen every day, right? You you're not going to maintain that every day. So, okay, I know the purpose of today's workout is to do zone two or to do zone four, right? Okay, that I need to dial back my pace today off of my personal best, um, because it's a me mediocre day, and and I think training is about. It's about like consistency over time more than maximizing every single day. 
hundred percent. Yeah. I, I don't think you'll ever truly know your body unless you have a lot of great, mediocre, and bad days. Because you, <laughs> right. you need to know what certain paces and workouts and races feel like when you're nailing it. And also when you are just having the worst day ever so that you can understand, Hey, you know, a six minute mile sometimes feels amazing and sometimes feels terrible. I need to know what contributes to that. And and that is part of the learning process. And you still get great value out of that workout. Even if you have to pull back the reins a bit on the actual absolute pace but you can still get the intended benefit from it, you know, for whatever energy system you're, you're, you're targeting, right? But it might just be 15 seconds slower, uh, you know, a mile or whatever it might be. Um, I also think that, you know, you, you've talked a lot in your podcast about zone two and like that trend. I think that's awesome. It gets people to kind of, again, like pull back the reins because it's not about going hard every day. Too many runners go too hard every single darn day. And that is not the way to maximize, um, you know, fitness. So I, I like to think about setting zones from bottom up, you know, the fastest runners, their zone two are insanely fast. Right. Um, so I, I love kind of like t- sometimes turning things on their head instead of always thinking about, well, I'm going to anchor everything to my 10k pace or my half marathon pace, but well, let, let's think about anchoring to your top of your zone two pace, you know, and, and, and can, ideally you want to go faster at the same heart rate. Right. Um, so can we see that improve over time? If you improve that over time, you know, no doubt the top end is going to improve too, as long as you have enough speed work in your, in your workout um, routine. Um, so don't, don't just focus on the, you know, the high end. No, no, I, I love, I'm actually a little bit more conservative than a lot of coaches. You know, I, I think a lot of coaches and runners are familiar with the 80, 20 split of 80% easy, 20% hard. You know, I, I'm a little bit more 85, 90 to easy running, especially for beginner to intermediate runners. And then of course, if you're a, a very advanced athlete or highly competitive, you know, there's room for a little bit more challenge in your training, but just for injury prevention reasons, primarily, I tend to be a little bit more conservative just because of the injury rate in, in the running population. Um, Real quick on the 80-20 thing, you know, you said majority of time. And actually, if you look you know, like Dr. Seiler's research, it's really about sessions. So it's the session count. So out of 10 sessions, you had two hard, right? And eight mellow or, or medium. It wasn't total time. So it wasn't 20% of my time. So if you are in training peaks, pulling up time in heart rate zone for the last week, that isn't the 80-20 concept. It, it was a, at least in Dr. Seiler's research, it was on um, sessions. So I think to myself, okay, every fifth day, I'm going to do a targeted, you know, hard workout. This is how I kind of like el- make it elementary within, within my own training. So yeah, just wanted to point that out. I'd love to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more generally about coaching and the, the, the coaching platform that is training peaks. You know, you've been doing this for such a long time. Have you learned anything unexpected about creating a coaching platform for endurance athletes? Anything maybe that you're surprised about after working with this population for 25 years or so? I've seen the full spectrum. It's pretty 
really cool and amazing some of the things I've seen. Um, for example, we started in 99, 2000, and the only athletes we could get were triathletes. And why is that? It was a new sport. There was no tradition. They could do whatever they wanted. They didn't have to rely on 50 years or whatever training, right? So they were very innovative and they helped us advance you know, our platform greatly. Coaches especially, right? But the athletes didn't want to use it. This is just another headache for them to do, another thing they have to do after the workout. And so the only reason we got traction was because coaches like demanded they had access to the data. And so they said, if you work with me, I need your data. You have to do this. And back then it wasn't seamless. They had to get a cable and plug it in a computer and plug their watch and upload it or first download it to their hard drive and then upload it to the web. So, you know, that we've seen all the way from that, the very beginnings of how darn hard it was to get your data to now it's just seamless. You hit stop on your watch. You know, it's in Garmin, Sunto, Polar, whatever you're using, cloud, and then it shuttles it over to Training Peaks or Strava or whatever it is now. So that was a huge surprise. I didn't realize like the swing of the pendulum of how hard it was going to be at the beginning all the way over to now today, how it's just a commodity. It's really damn easy to get access to your data. And there's a thousand different apps out there to do it. Um, we were we were the first, by the way, to actually render um, heart rate and power data within this within a web browser. Um, and again, now it's on your mobile phone. So that was really exciting to see. Um, another thing was like the secrets of training. Like athletes 20 years ago would not share their training. It was the, it was like the holy grail. I'm not going to share anything. Coaches were actually very kind of closed-minded. They weren't sharing they weren't helping each other to like advance knowledge within the sport because they had their super secret sauce. Right. But there's Lydiard and a couple of other big names of, you know, coaches out there, you know, helping coaches learn, but majority of coaches weren't sharing data. Um, now, you know, and I, I would go to tour de France cycling camps and athletes would not use training peaks because they didn't want the team directors and doctors to know about their training. <laughs> okay. They, they're probably doing illegal drugs as well. Right. We all know that. But the point was we were the bad guy because we wanted to help you improve your training and work with your coach. Like we in, in these like upper echelons of Olympics and tour de France, we were actually the bad guy um, at the very beginning. But now you come all the way full circle to today where you start as a 12 year old, uh, as a cyclist or runner, you're, you're using something, you're using Strava or something to record your data. Um, hopefully early in your career, you start using training peaks because then that data set can migrate with you from coach to coach and team to team and club to club. Um, and that's now seen as a valuable thing, whereas it was not at the beginning. They, you would not share your data from one team to the next, for example, in the past. Um, now, it's just, that's how it is. Like every coach realizes if I write a workout on your schedule, that athletes owns, like owns that workout. They can print it out. They can give it to their friends. It's just like you faxed them the workout. 
Um, it's not a super secret sauce. You know, I think the super secret sauce is in the human element of working with the individual athlete. So the longer we've gone through the lifespan of training peaks, it's actually become more and more emphasis on, on the human interaction. And, and again, because the data is a commodity now, we can track it in a million different ways and a thousand different apps. So what's the difference difference now? It, it comes in that, you know, what do we do with the data and then working with that expert to help you make the improvement? Um, so I think, you know, data sharing has been amazing. It's helped athletes and coaches broaden their knowledge base. That is also the downfall still. I think in coaching, there's no um, set standards, if you will, around education, you know, within running and even cycling, um, you know, so I think there's more opportunity to create better education platforms, education um I guess, certifications, if you will, but just like standardization uh, across the board. I think it's more so in Europe. There's more emphasis around education in Europe than in America. Um, so I'd like to see more of that happen here. Are, are you not counting, say, USA Track and Field, their coaching certification, wh- which is what I have? I am, but like, you know, the majority of coaches coaching marathoners, let's say, probably don't have that. It's not necessary. Um, I think, you know, a lot of coaches do have it, but it's not the majority of run coaches that have it. I think it's something that is is likely necessary for anybody who's looking for a coach at a minimum. Get a good coaching certification. USA Track and Field, Roadrunners Club uh, of America is another good one. I tend to I tend to err on the side of, of USA Track and Field just because they're the governing body of the sport. And, and you'll learn not just about the distance events. And, and there, I think there's value in learning about the sprinting events and, you know, how you train people for relays, you know, all the different track and field events, because uh, it gives you a broader understanding of, of the sport itself. Um, you know, we, we have been talking a little bit about AI as, you know, not a limitation on coaches, but actually as an accelerant on, the learning process and and helping athletes. And so it's really something that that could potentially um, help coaches. But what are what are some other challenges that might be facing the the running industry or coaches in particular, or even runners in particular right now? Well, when I think about the running coaching industry or career path, I think unfortunately it's sort of been a race to the bottom. Why is it that the cycling coaches in your community charge $300 a month, but the running coaches in your community charge $75 a month or $125 a month, right? There really should be no difference. Like you are helping these athletes in the very same way. So I've unfortunately seen a race to the bottom, if you will, in, in run coaching communities and they're afraid to charge their value that they are worth. And I would like to see more, I guess, uh, you know, a, kind of a coming together of like, hey, our services are, are very valuable, just like they are in cycling and triathlon. There's like no difference. So why are we charging so little, you know? And so I'd like to see more of that kind of growth of professional I guess, 
pricing, service levels, um, what premium level coaching. If you are offering premium level coaching and, and charging 125 and coaching 50 athletes, like, you know, it, it, that needs to change. Um, so I think there's opportunity there. Absolutely. I have seen growth there. Our fastest growing segment in terms of like coach, um, you know, sports is our running coaches coming to, to training peaks. For a long time, you know, it was under 10% of our total coach population within training peaks, but certainly that's grown um, a lot, you know, in the last seven years, I'd say. So more professionalism around the coaching of run coaching is, I think, a great thing. We're seeing that trend now, and I want to see that continue because their their services are, are, are very valuable. I think that issue is endemic in the entire running population because it's not just coaches that have sort of unprofessional pricing practices, but it's also freelance writers who will accept article assignments for $50 or $75 for a piece of well-sourced running journalism, or even podcast hosts who accept basement, you know, level prices for, for sponsors to come on their show. And so I I think as an industry, as a whole, embracing more professional pricing that better reflects our value is honestly a growth strategy for, for the industry. You know, if we want to take ourselves seriously and, and, and grow, I think we need to be more professional and and do exactly that. Yeah. I mean, there's a place for a coaching business that even happens in cycling and triathlon where a coaching business might say they're coaching 500 athletes. Yeah, they are They're and they're charging lower prices. Certainly there's a model for that, but you know, you're getting less human interaction for that. Right. So I think it comes down to the human interaction, how much human time is spent on each athlete. And if that is a premium, you know, personalized coaching experience, then it needs to be, you know, a higher price than 125 a month. Yeah, for sure. Dirk, this has been really fun learning about kind of the 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 evolution of training peaks over the years and how AI both is and is not impacting the the coaching industry is something that I'm obviously very interested in as a running coach. Uh is, is there anything that you'd like to add or maybe that I missed about coaching technology, AI, training peaks, the future of of coaching, any related topics? Oh man, well, I'd love to mention the fact that we're coming out with strength training within Training Peaks. So set rep weight, um, video libraries. Um, you know, we surveyed our coaches within Training Peaks, and more than seventy-five percent of all coaches prescribe strength. But it was a pretty horrible experience within Training Peaks because it would just be a text blob, um, and a lot of that coaches would ask their athletes or they would use some other third-party app to prescribe strength. So now that's in beta. And if any coaches are listening right now, they can sign up for the beta and get a kind of preview and actually use it right now today. And that's at trainingpeaks.com forward slash strength. And again, right now it's only for coaches, but yet they can prescribe for their athletes. Um, That's coming within this this quarter right now. So before April, um, we'll launch launch it um, live within Training Peaks again. It'll it'll launch first with coaches. Um, so I, I think that's really exciting because we we do see, you know, I think you and I both believe in strength training and mobility work and et cetera. And so 
you know, having that holistic view, it also means that if you aren't an expert in strength training, you don't have to pretend to be, you know, you can have your, you can be the head coach of your athletes, but you can hire or outsource the strength training to a strength expert. And now the two coaches can actually access the same um, athlete accounts. And so they, the, the coaches can work, you know, holistically with each other. And now the strength coach can see next week's training and how that's changing. What are the best days to do strength morning, afternoon, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever it might be. And then the head coach, the run coach can see what the strength coach is putting in and they can work in harmony. Um, so I think that's been lacking, you know, in terms of we, we again, we see that at the you know, world championship, world championship, Olympic tour de France level, where there's sports psychologists, there's nutritionists, there's strength coaches, there's the head coach, there's the director, there's the manager, you know, every athlete on a tour de France team of 30 riders, each athlete is shared to at least five other experts and they're working and they have weekly meetings where they have check-ins, right? So I think that is now coming down to, you know, to the, the more, uh, I guess, broader running and cycling and triathlon community. I'm excited about that. And I think um, coaches should really see that as an opportunity to, to grow their service um, offerings as well and raise the prices, <laughs> possibly. I love that. You know, the the actual genesis of this podcast is very similar. I wanted to provide a space for runners where they could feel like an elite athlete because they're being surrounded by all the folks an elite athlete might surround themselves with. So it's the running coach, the strength coach, the sports psychologist, the physical therapist, all these people that help an athlete get to the highest levels of performance. I want to have on this podcast so you can feel like you're hearing from all these people and learning best practices. So it's great hearing that Training Peaks is um, kind of pulling in all these different subject matter experts so that they can contribute to the training of runners because ultimately that's going to help us become a lot faster runners. Yeah. And, and, and the coach will also, we will add the capability for the coach to upload their own videos. So if it, if they have more like yoga or mobility or specific strength training that they want to provide outside of our, you know, we'll have like a thousand videos to start with, you know, short clips, um, but they'll have the up ability to upload their own video. Um, so I'm looking for really cool iterations off of this that can kind of weave their way into the actual run workout itself. You might have a warm up routine, for example, prior to, or an activation routine prior to your run, which can be incorporated into the run itself. Yeah, that that's really interesting too, because, you know, like I mentioned, I'm building out some training peaks, training plans, and I'm including some of those pre-run warm-up routines and post-run strength routines. And, you know, it's not like separate programming like you're mentioning, but uh, it's all included in the training plan. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that shakes out in, in the coming months for coaches. Um, well, go sign up for the beta if you want. <laughs> ah, I, think I should. Well, <laughs> Dirk, thanks so much for, for spending some time with us today and helping us learn a little bit more about um, coaching technology and the industry itself and how AI is playing a role in that. It was really helpful for me as I figure out uh, how to keep the lights on and not lose my job over here. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a good job. Keep it going. It's awesome. Thanks for sharing the world. Thank you. And that's our show. 
Thank you for listening. And if you're a fan of my work here on the podcast in this conversation, please consider leaving a review or supporting our sponsors. By using their links and discount codes, you will support the podcast and tell our sponsors they should continue supporting the show. First, hook yourself up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Element, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. And this doesn't have to be your first purchase. You're going to get a sample pack with every flavor so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. If you're not familiar, Element is my favorite way to hydrate. They make electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. I'm now in the habit of giving away month supplies of Element at group runs whenever I attend here around Denver, and everyone loves this stuff. It can be a really helpful way to prevent dehydration when you're running long, and if you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches, cramps, or you're sleepless after a long run or workout, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Element. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions. Plus, Element is my go-to morning beverage if I've frequented one of Denver's many breweries the night before, and I want my morning to feel a little smoother. You can check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get your free sample pack gift with any purchase, and you can get your hydration optimized for your upcoming season. Next is one of my favorite strength and performance tools, the Mobo Board. Go to moboboard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. It was invented by renowned physical therapist Jade Sherry, and Mobo helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board that's set up on these two fins. And there's a hole where your four little toes are supposed to be, which effectively forces you to drive your big toe into the board to improve your stability. You can't use your four smaller toes for that stability. And if you want to hear Jay and I discuss stability training even more, go back to episode 275 of the podcast. Now, I was feeling pretty confident going into my first session on the MOBO board. How hard can it be to balance, right? Well, I was humbled pretty quickly. Even if you're a good runner, better balance, stability, and proprioception are going to help you have a more powerful stride and prevent more running injuries. You'll learn how to improve the efficiency of the kinetic chain from your hip to your big toe. Because as Jay likes to say, it's not just how strong you are, but how well you use that strength. Get yourself your own board and diagnose your imbalances at moboboard.com. Use code STRENGTHRUN10 at checkout to save 10%. That's moboboard.com with code STRENGTHRUN10. Thank you again for being part of the Strength Running community. I appreciate you being here and listening to the show. Don't ever hesitate to get in touch if I can help you with your running. Until next time.